Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Wayne, one of the lead pastors here. Sorry I'm not able to be with you in person today, uh, but we are still quarantining here at our house, and uh, just thank you for your prayers for us and our family. And we're gonna we're gonna jump right into this and uh, and just continue on through our Colossians series. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open them up to Colossians chapter three, and uh, we're gonna be looking at two verses today. I was actually originally had this message kind of tied in with last week, which was on uh, marriage and the roles of husband and wife, um, and then kind of diving in and, and allowing this one to also cover in that. But that was just gonna be way too long. And uh, so anyways, I broke it up, and, and so now we're covering these two verses, verses 20 and 21 in Colossians 3 today. And again, kind of like last week, I know last week there were some hard truths for us to hear from the Bible. Um, and I think, again, it's going to be the same thing for, uh, for us today, especially for those with children, um, as well as those preparing to have children. Um, these are going to be some hard things because there's a lot of expectations on you as a parent when it comes to the discipleship and, and discipline of your children in the home and what that looks like and how God has entrusted children to you for the purpose of, of stewarding them well, for the purpose of raising them up to know and love Jesus and uh, to again continue to do the same mandate that God gave us that we, we saw last week, which is to one day leave you as father and mother in order to join with their husband or wife and then begin to fill the earth and subdue it and continue to uh, have and exercise dominion over everything, cultivating society and all those good things. So there's going to be some things for us to cover today that's going to be hard to hear. And I just want to say right out of the gate that when it comes to parenting, what we need most is not a checklist of things to do in order to do it better, but rather we need constantly, daily, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ uh, for every single one of us. Because it is very difficult. And there are gonna be days where you think you're nailing it, and there are gonna be days where uh, you think you are uh, probably going to need to start a side fund for therapy for your children down the road because of just the train wreck that it is going. Um, so anyways, just know we need grace, we need Jesus, we need mercy when it comes to parenting. And, and I think you're going to see that kind of woven in throughout this message today. But also, I think you're uh, hopefully just be encouraged by this and also have some conviction regarding kind of where you're at in, in your parenting. And I know, again, just like last week, um, I had, I think, three to almost four weeks to prepare that sermon. And there were about three to four weeks that I just kept apologizing to Kelsey uh, for not being um, the godly husband that, that I see in Scripture. And again, today, as I'm looking at this message, just constantly apologizing to Kelsey and apologizing to our, our three boys for, uh, for not being the father God's called me to ultimately be every single day with consistency. And so I, I feel the weight of this message. Um, so I, I think you're going to feel the weight of it as well. And if you're not, if you're just killing it and crushing it, then um, man, praise God for that. But I think we all need... Um, if we're honest with ourselves, we need some instruction and we need some help when it comes to parenting. And so let's dive in. Um, and again, if you don't have kids, man, do not tune out this sermon. 
because whether you plan to have kids one day or don't plan to have kids one day, we are the church, we are the family. And just as parents are raising up their children and discipling them in the Lord, we as the family and body of Christ are also helping one another raise up our children um, in the name of Jesus Christ. And so this is as much uh, practical for you as it is for those with children now. So let's dive into this. And there's actually going to be two parallel passages that we're going to cover. So Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 20 and 21. And apologize, I'm probably going to cough a few times. Starting verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So those are the two verses that we're going to cover. And I actually want to jump over to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. This is the parallel passage. Remember, the Apostle Paul was writing Colossians and Ephesians at the same time in the same jail cell. Um, and so this is his parallel passage where he's providing a little bit more detail for what we're looking at in these two verses. So I'm actually going to use Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 as the primary meat for this message. And so if you flip over to Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4, I'm going to read that for us and, and we'll continue on. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So one of the things that I want to do uh, in regards to this is I don't want to just jump straight into the practical aspect of kind of here's here's what this means and here's how this kind of applies to our life. But what I really want to do is, is be able to kind of give you, like I did last week, the historical and biblical foundation and evidence around what we saw last week was marriage and the roles of husband and wife and how God created it and what his ideal design was for humanity to flourish. Same thing today. So I want to look at a biblical and historical view of the family and the commands of God to the family when it comes to uh, leading them and when it comes to uh, raising the family up in a worshipful environment that is honoring God at the same time that is honoring father and mother as we saw in our passage there in just a minute. And so I want to give you again some biblical examples of just the practice of family worship over um, several millennia. And so there's evidence for the practice of family worship, and it exists as far back as Genesis 18, 17 through 19, where the Lord and two angels, uh, they appeared to Abraham in the form of dusty travelers. And Abraham provided hospitality to the guests and finally recognized who they were when they told Sarah uh, that she would soon be expecting a child, uh, which was a promise that they had been given from the old uh, they were a barren couple years before, and so it is actually 25 years from when God promised to Abraham that he would have a child before they then had a child. And so as they were leaving to head to Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord spoke to them, and this is what the Lord said in verse 17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him 
that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So now we have, we have no reason to believe here that there was really any true worship going on in Abraham's day. Um, after the Tower of Babel, which is back in Genesis chapter 11, when the Lord confused the languages of people and he scattered them, uh, it, it's difficult to identify at that point anyone else in the world at that point in the Bible outside of Abraham's family who really loved God, who followed God, who trusted God. And so one of the primary reasons, as we see here in the text, was so that Abraham might command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. So that was a command given by God to Abraham was to teach his family and to lead his family in family worship in order for them to understand what righteousness and justice were so that they could practice those things and that they could walk in those things based on God's design and based on his commands to Abraham. And that would ultimately, again, not only commanding his family, but then to command their families. And, and you begin to see kind of the legacy as it goes down so that if you are, are familiar with the Bible and read, read the Bible often, especially in the Old Testament, you will hear language of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's because of this passing down of the lineage of family worship, of Abraham teaching Isaac and Isaac teaching Jacob and Jacob being the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, eventually changing his name to Israel. You, you kind of see this family worship playing itself out. And so again, this is kind of the idea that is being driven home here. And so when, when would Abraham have done this? Like he, he did not have, you know, kind of at his disposal, really a church ministry where his wife could participate in women's ministry or his children could participate in youth ministry or children's ministry. He had no local church to be able to really lean on in order to help him regarding this. And so the only way Abraham could have commanded his children to keep the way of the Lord was to teach the things of God to them at home. And so how do we know Abraham led the family in worship? Well, we actually can see it implied in the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, when God tested Abraham by telling him to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. Um, and so it's a very interesting passage, very interesting story. And so I'm just kind of going to give you some cliff notes of it. But early the next morning, uh, the old man, Abraham, obeyed by getting everything together even splitting the wood himself for a sacrifice. And then he started heading to this place called Mount Moriah. There he intended to sacrifice his only son to God because of his faith in God and actually because of his confidence that God could raise Isaac back from the dead if he actually went through with the sacrifice. And you see that in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. Now, those familiar with the story will know that the Lord actually intervened in the story at the last moment, and he provided a ram to be sacrificed as a substitute for Isaac. And we actually see that kind of playing out as a picture, as a prophetic story of Jesus ultimately coming to become our sacrifice in our place rather than us having to actually be the sacrifice for our sins. But in Genesis 22, 6 through 7, 
Abraham did not yet know that the Lord would speak and spare the agony of killing Isaac. Now, the key element of this story in support of family worship actually happens before the dramatic climax. It actually happens when Isaac knew that they were going to the mountain to offer a sacrifice and they were going to worship God. Though not yet aware that the plan was actually for him to be the sacrifice, Abraham and Isaac had traveled for two days and they had reached the foot of Mount Moriah. And as they prepared for the final leg of the journey, here's what we read in verses six through seven. So follow along with me. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, uh, the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, here's my question. How did Isaac know that they did not have everything necessary for sacrifice? How did he know that the worship of God involved fire, involved wood, and also involved a lamb? Or that the lamb would be sacrificed as a burnt offering in general? Like Isaac knew these things because he must have long been familiar with sacrifices and the worship of God. Like Isaac must have seen often the splitting of the wood and, and being piled up for a sacrifice. He must have heard the crackle of the fire and smelled the, the burning flesh of a lamb offered to God before. And so Isaac knew when an element of the worship of God was actually missing because Abraham must have frequently led his family in the worship of God. And so when I was a youth pastor, um, many years ago now, I, I was always strong in my stance that the ministry of students was not my primary job, but the job of the parents. And so we would host these kind of parent nights where, where we would discuss practical ways for them to, to better bring up their children in the instruction of the Lord, or, um, or, or as I would say, just kind of raise them to see and have the opportunity to know and love Jesus. And the most popular response I would always receive is, it's just so awkward. Like, it's just so awkward to lead our family in worship. And so, well, here's the reason. Like, when you introduce anything new, like, there's always going to be a learning curve to it, right? And so what we're arguing here with Isaac is that what's awkward to him is that there's an element of worship missing, It'd be like him going to bed at night and neither mommy or daddy praying with him. Or they went a day or two without reading the Bible together. Like the act of worship itself is not what's awkward. It's the frequency or lack thereof that actually makes it awkward. And so if you never pray with your kids or if you never sing songs of worship or if you never read scripture together, then of course it's going to be awkward. And on the contrary, if from the time they were toddlers, if you prayed with them, if you sang with them, if you are reading scripture with them, when you, when you don't do it, then that's when the kids are going to think it's awkward. Kind of like Isaac in the story here, like, Dad, where's the lamb? Or, Dad, why haven't we prayed together? You create what's normal in your house and what's your typical uh, let me say it this way. You create what's normal in your house from a young age and your kids will never know a difference. They'll never know the difference. You create the rhythm and routine. You set the stage and if it's uncomfortable, 
Just be honest with one another. Like, I know this is uncomfortable, but I promise you that it will get better in time. Uh, we, we don't have high expectations. We just, we just want to worship Jesus because he's worthy of it. Because we love him, we treasure him. He's our greatest treasure. He's our greatest gift that God has bestowed to us. And so let's look at what our expectations uh, should be in family worship. Like when he gives us this kind of text of training your children up in the way that they should go or disciplining your children in the home when it comes to the way of Christ, what does that look like? What are our expectations? And now one of the most famous passages in scripture regarding family worship is actually found in the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And here's what he says. Excuse me. It says, Hear, O Israel, <clears throat> the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So here in this passage, there are three primary truths going on uh, in this passage. First, the Lord is our God. Plain and simple. Like We must first recognize who God is and why we are worshiping him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. That's verses 4 through 5. Second, before we can lead our family in worship, we must be true worshipers ourselves. That's verse 6. And then third, when it comes to structure, how often, what's the setting look like, and so on, that's between the Lord and your family. That's the, beauty, that's the beauty here, the grace here, is that that's between you and your family to figure out, verses 7 through 9. Like, not every family is going to sit down at 7 p.m. every single night and have a time of family worship. It's just not going to happen. This passage isn't meant to uh, convict us from how little we lead our family in worship, but rather to free us to see how much opportunity we have for family worship. So I don't know if you've realized this or not, but like the Morans with their five children never have two nights back to back that look exactly the same. I can guarantee that. We've got three kids in our household. Never do we have two nights that look the exact same back to back. So even though structure is greatly important, flexibility is also just as important. And so there are going to be times when you need to sit down at the dinner table and eat with your family and have a great conversation and ask your kids how God is, is moving in their lives. And then there are going to be times where you're in the car heading to a soccer game and you're just slingshotting chicken nuggets in the back seat um, and, and into their mouths and, and, and just kind of put on some worship music and you just sing loud, like shout it, go on and scream it from the Honda that he is God. Like there are going to be times where we're doing it kind of spontaneously and there are going to be times where we're doing it in a structured um, kind of environment. And so not only is unplanned intentionality important, but so is purposeful structure. And so as we see in our main text for today, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In order to provoke your children to anger, 
Like, when are you going to discipline and instruct them in the Lord? And, and just to kind of give a quick blurb on like, what does it mean when it says, do not provoke your children to anger? Because if you're, you know, if you're a father, or you're a mother right now in the room and you've got toddlers, like you know every single day there's at least 37 times throughout the day that they're angry at you, right? Like I, I feel that, I know that, like I, I sense that. I mean, I just, right before I jumped on here to record this, I've got my sons angry at me because I told them it was nap time. Um, and so like it's, it's not saying do not make your children angry. There are gonna be times where we, uh, withhold from them something that they want because we're protecting them or trying to guide them. Like there's a reason why I don't let my children ride their bikes out in the road past a certain point because of the oncoming traffic and cars. Like I, I, I pull them like, you. do you see that flat squirrel over there? Like that will be you if you go past this point. And so even though they want to and they think they know what's right and the best way to have fun, I have to protect them. And at times they're going to be upset about that. So it's not saying do not make your children angry. What it is saying is don't try to make your children angry. Don't try to make your children angry. Like there's some parents, I'm just being honest, I think there's some parents who just love to say no. They just love to say no, whether that's because of their um, uh, childhood, whether that's some wounds that they have or some daddy issues that they have where they never had anything. And so because they didn't have anything, they don't want their kids to have anything. So they just say no all the time. Or maybe it's, it's because like you have just insecurities. And so you kind of have this like level of authority that you try to overshadow on your kids that's just not meant to be there and nor should it be there. And so they're gonna be crushed under that weight constantly if you're trying to make them angry, if you're trying to frustrate them because of your own insecurities and issues. And so again, that's, that's kind of a side note there for fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. So of course, you do it when you bring your children um, a couple of different ways. Like when you bring your children to church, when you talk with them in the car, when or even through just kind of personal example, uh, it does not happen only incidentally. Like there needs to be purposeful, regular structure for instructing our children in the Lord. So if it's important, and hear me out here, if it's important for uh, the church to not only encourage one another and to live lifestyles of worship, but to also formally structure times to gather together in person and to also structure times to have Bible studies and structure times to have deeper levels of knowledge and increasing the knowledge like our institutes, to have structured times for us to come together for community in our community groups. If it's important for the church to do those things, it's even that much more important for the family to do those things. Because again, the responsibility of raising the children in the Lord is not placed on the church, but it's placed on the family. It's placed on the husband and the wife, fathers and mothers. So be intentional in unplanned moments when you're walking in the park, when you're riding in the car, when you're going to bed at night, when you're waking up in the morning, but also be purposeful in planned, structured times for your family to sing songs, to read scriptures, to pray together. So now that we know the frequency, what elements should we include in family worship? I'm gonna take a drink of water real quick. What elements should we include in family worship?
Now you do not have to overcomplicate this. I've already mentioned the elements multiple times if you've kind of been paying attention here. The three predominant uh, elements normative in scripture are reading the Bible, praying, and singing. You heard me say that. Reading the Bible, praying, and singing. You don't even have to put that much effort into the preparation beforehand. Honestly, you really don't. Like your kids don't need to know how to parse Greek words to know Jesus better. Like they just don't need to know that. Just read, just pray, and sing. It's that simple. And so the first element, read the Bible. Read the Bible to your children, chapter by chapter. Read through books of the Bible together. The younger the children, the more you will want to use kind of narrative passages um, and read shorter sections. As the children get older, man, set a goal to read through the entire New Testament together and then later through the entire Bible together. And so some of you might say, I've, I've never read through the entire Bible you know, myself. Uh, well, then what a great way to do it. Not alone, but with your family. And so just dive, jump in, dive in, do that. And here's the thing too. Read enthusiastically and interpretively. Like, in other words, don't be one of those people who reads the Bible as apathetically as if reading a phone directory out loud. Like, don't do that. Uh, it's the Word of God. Like, read, read it to the best of your ability. Also, explain any words that the children uh, may not understand. Like, clarify the meaning of key verses or key themes within certain passages. And to improve their understanding, perhaps even like ask the children to just choose a verse or a phrase to explain it to you. And then have them pick one for you to explain to them. Like it's, it's truly not rocket science when it comes to, to these kinds of things. Just, just read the Bible together. And here's the thing too. Like it doesn't have to be like your personal ESV study Bible or NASB study Bible or NIV study Bible. It doesn't have to be like that specific Bible. You can even get age appropriate Bibles. I got a couple of examples I want to show you real quick. And so like when, when our kids are each uh, born, like this is one of the first books uh, that I take through. I don't know if it's backwards for you or not, but baby's first Bible. I remember um, like it's just short from the beginning like you get like literally it's just a small little picture um, with a little bit of thing you can read each page in about five seconds you can actually read through the whole thing in like a minute and a half and like they just read through the whole Bible theoretically um, another one that one's great again for like infants I mean just get just start with them even right out of the gate another one of the ones that I like is the big book of Bible stories for toddlers this one is great because it gives a little bit more detail and it's even got some like interactive um, like questions and answers uh, for them to be able to kind of walk through each of the stories. And of course the kids are always gonna love the pictures. Um, like I know Josh Gonzalez loves the pictures when I read it to him and so it's great. Another one, this one's probably my favorite one. I think we've actually gone through this one um, with Ezra. I think he's gone through it twice now and Wyatt is kind of starting going through it for the first time. But this is actually a friend of ours, Jared Kennedy. He's one of the elders at Sojourn Church down in Louisville. He's a part of our Harbor Network of churches, formerly known as Sojourn Network, now Harbor Network. Uh, but he wrote this, and he's one of the elders at Sojourn, is one of the children's pastors of theirs. And, and it's just a fantastic read because not only does he use uh, biblical language and stories, 
but he also provides in there questions and, and study answers and even some catechisms, and I'll get into that in a minute. Um, but this is for toddlers, kind of in the three to, to five, three to six age range. This is my favorite resource for that. So that's enough of the infomercial on some Bibles, but I just think those are great resources that, that you should definitely get for, for your kids. Next element is pray together. And prayer can, can, again, flexibility here, just as long as you're consistent. But prayer can come from dad, it can come from mom, uh, or each person takes turns. Like we let our boys take turns. Ezra kind of has a, a song that he's learned at his preschool of how he kind of prays. Uh, while Wyatt just kind of gives me like this like cheesy face prayer and he just he just thanks people for or he thanks God for grandpa and mommy and daddy and, and Ezra and Shepherd and, and just kind of goes through. So you give them an opportunity to pray. It just kind of trains them. But you need to pray as well so that they can begin to pick up on how you pray and the language that you use in prayer and who you're praying to and and those things as well. Like, don't pray the exact same prayer every single time. Like, for example, Heavenly Father, thank you for this food. Let it bless and nourish our bodies for your work. Amen. Like, don't pray that every single time you gather around a meal. Like, mix it up and pray for some different things and even ask the children to pray as well. Another great resource for this, Tim, uh, Tim Keller, pastor up in New York in the Manhattan area, has a great resource on praying through the Psalms. And one of the things I love about his resource on praying through the Psalms is because as you're praying through the Psalms, it allows for emotion to be placed and categorized. So if there's a day where like your children have just really been disobedient or have really been frustrated or angered on multiple times, like you're able to go to certain Psalms where even David, as he's praying to the Lord and writing this Psalm, he is actually like anguishing and he's like frustrated with the Lord or or he's also repenting and, and asking for forgiveness because of some of the things that he's been doing wrong. And so it allows opportunity for us to get our emotions out um, and filter them through scripture so that scripture can then inform our emotions and categorize them and place them in the right place so that we can feel them, know them, and then at the same time be able to get in line with what God wants for us regarding our um, specific day. Another one I think is, is again, an element is singing songs. Uh, some of you, many of you, maybe like me, are just not musical. Uh, so you crank up the volume of music, crank up the stereo uh, to kind of drown out like the, the off-key kittens in a wood chipper kind of sound uh, that might be coming out of your mouth. But like, was that too much? I don't know. That might be too much. Uh, but you get the point. Sing loud to the Lord. Like that's a command in the psalm. Sing loud to the Lord. If you're, uh, if you're not musical or if you are musical, use instruments, uh, guitars, pianos. Uh, use it as a means for your kids to learn how to play instruments. Like it's great. Just and create a little family worship band. Like uh, from the moment like Ezra was born and, and even Wyatt, like uh, Kelsey will play at the piano and oftentimes whenever she's practicing for uh, for worship at our church and the boys will come next to her and they'll just kind of start playing together and singing songs and and like they they become familiar with the songs that we sing on Sundays and so it's it's really important and if you're not if you're not musical if you don't have instruments in your home like that's okay what you can do uh, is this one great thing called YouTube. 
uh, where you can just search worship songs and, and, and find them and, and even kids worship on YouTube. And, and man, we just have dance parties in our house where the kids run around listening to these songs. Um, and it's also kind of great at times whenever they uh, misunderstand the words that are singing. I think um, the song uh, King Above All, or He is the King Above All Kings, uh, Ezra says he's the king of bubble kings. Um, so I just always think that's kind of funny. But anyways, it's cute. Uh, here's another couple of things. Why not incorporate other elements in family worship like what we do in church? Like, for example, Lord's Supper and baptism in family worship. Uh, to speak to baptism first, baptism is always meant to be a public display to both church and culture that you are announcing allegiance to Christ. Um, so it's a public thing amongst the gathering of the saints, amongst the assembly of the saints to declare that we are team Jesus, with Jesus, all for Jesus, and that he's changed and transforms our life, that we've been buried with him and raised to walk in a new life. And so it's a declaration to everybody. So it's not good for family worship, but it's great for the assembly, the gathered saints. And the same with uh, Lord's Supper, as we see in 1 Corinthians 11, 33, one of the commands is to wait for one another as we come together to partake in Lord's Supper. And so again, it is for the corporate body, uh, but not the uh, kind of scattered body of Christ. And so it's when we come together and participate in that with one another. In family worship, here's one of the main points. Like, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Read, pray, and sing. Again, you don't need to prepare a seven-point sermon outline uh, to lead your family through. At times, there may be an article or sermon, illustration. You, you, you want to teach them. But for the most part, just open the Bible to the place where you left off and read, pray, and sing together. All right, it's not that hard. Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon agrees that these three elements are all you need in family worship. As he says, I agree with Matthew Henry when he says, they that pray in the family do well. They that pray and read the scriptures do better. But they that pray and read and sing do best of all. So there's a completeness in that kind of family worship, uh, which is much to be desired. Now, beyond those three elements, there's freedom. There's freedom to incorporate other tools for just enhancing the raising your kids to receive the love of Jesus. Using catechisms has been popular for really the last two millennia, the last 2,000 years. Uh, and some of you are like, did you say catacombs? Like, what's, what's underground? No, catechisms. Catechisms are similar to kind of like the... Uh, the frequently asked question section on a website, all right? Like that's, that's kind of what a catechism is. It, it answers the who, what, when, where, how, et cetera type questions. Uh, our statement of faith, for example, on our website is a catechism that answers who is God, who made us, uh, what is the Bible, what is the gospel, and on and on I could go. And so Asking why they are important would be like asking if multiplication is important to learning mathematics. Like catechisms are there to help point us and steer us in the direction of understanding God's doctrine in scripture. And so for example, I, we use catechisms uh, to help systematize uh, the beliefs we have in the scriptures. For example, the question, is God sovereign? 
can be answered in chapter 16 of Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, uh, where he looks at all of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation that have to do with God's sovereignty. And what he does is he then compiles them all into um, an argument or he compiles them all into a statement and then says this is God's sovereignty based on Genesis to Revelation. Therefore, this is a doctrine, a study of that specific thing where it where it identifies the identity, personhood, and character of God in his rule and reign over creation. And it establishes a theme or doctrine that helps us to kind of form an answer for the question of, again, God's sovereignty. And so these can be helpful uh, to, to children uh, to help form clear and concrete thoughts to the questions that arise about our faith. And so I actually do have um, a couple of... Uh, examples for you. Um, one again by again one of my favorite authors, Jared Kennedy. He wrote this one, God Made Me for Worship. And so this one is a great one on helping children understand church and how kind of it pulls together what is the doctrine of church um, when it comes to Genesis to Revelation and why are we to participate. And so God Made Me for Worship is a great one. Um, this one is another one, Sophie and the Heidelberg Cat. And you're like, Heidelberg Cat? It's because it's based on the Heidelberg Catechism where it answers all, many, all kinds of questions about who we are and, and who God is and, and why we feel bad about our sin and what do we do when it comes to repentance. But it puts it in story format. So again, I think that one is a great um, example for uh, leading your kids Another one on just kind of church history, we're, we're reading through it right now with our boys. This is the ABCs of Reformation. So not only is it teaching them the ABCs, uh, but it's also teaching them the people, places, and things of the Reformation. So it's providing even for them a church history and a church background um, where like the church that daddy works at isn't the first church that has ever existed. And so it's providing some framework for them. And I just want to show you something real quick. Uh, when I first opening it up to the A and the B, my boys go, look, it's Daddy and Joshua. I just thought that was kind of funny. And then when we flipped over to the next one with good old John Calvin, uh, they just kept rolling on with our elders. They said, look, it's Ransford. All right. So, so that's... <laughs> That's that for you. I just thought it was hilarious. But those are some great examples for you to use to kind of add to just your family worship. Another one is scripture memorization. Scripture memorization is always a great tool to help uh, just your family grow in its knowledge of Christ as well. Uh, and to have the promises of God just really at your intellectual fingertips when life struggles come. And so just like you need God's word to be able to get you um, through the trials and tribulations that we walk through, like your children need it as well. Like they need to know that when they're anxious, that God cares for them and knows that we can cast all of our anxieties on him. And so that's very important for us to be able to, again, not only just read scripture to them, but get them to memorize scripture so that it's there for them when they need it in times of both joy and in times of sadness as well. Now, a um, couple of questions that always come up in this is like, what if the kids are really young? What better time to start? Like they'll never know life without family worship. Just be short and brief. Like I remember when Ezra was a baby, 
uh, and I would read from that baby's first Bible uh, to him. Like again, it only took like 45 seconds. We would read, we would pray together. And I remember one time like bowing my head to pray and he's like, he, he was like a year old at the time. He doesn't know what I'm doing. And so I'm bowing my head to pray and he just comes over and puts his forehead against my forehead and, and just kind of starts mumbling whatever I'm trying to mumble as well. And so you, and now again, like I said, Wyatt just kind of gives me the silly smile uh, whenever we pray together. Another question, what if our kids are at different age or maturity levels? And this is what, and I think this is considered normal in most family cases. It has advantages and it has challenges. Like the only part of all three elements that, um, that boasts a challenge is really the reading scripture part. Um, when you read the Bible together, you'll have to make a point to explain and apply things at different levels based on their ages. And so you can ask questions suitable to the age of each child. So that might take a little bit of prep work beforehand uh, when it comes to asking a question to a five-year-old versus asking a question to a three-year-old versus asking a question to a five-month-old. Um, so include and kind of think through those things as well of, of kind of how uh, you can go about reading scripture and asking questions. And I think one thing that you'll find surprising is that the younger ones may pick up uh, more than you realize when you're teaching the older ones as well. Because one of the phrases that we always use is Christianity is not only taught, but it's caught. And so uh, oftentimes, and this is why I actually love when we have kids in worship on Sunday mornings, you might think your kids are a distraction. They are not a distraction to us, nor are they a distraction to others. What's happening in those moments is when you think that they might be uh, disobeying or might be going off the rails or might be you know, yelling or talking too loud, um, they're also hearing songs about the gospel and they're hearing prayers about the gospel and they're hearing messages about the gospel and they're picking up more than you think they, they actually are. And so uh, don't kind of begrudgingly come into a worship service thinking that your children are going to ruin the whole thing. Uh, we, we are just as happy and excited for them to be there because we know that they are being discipled by that as well. So they pick up on it when you think that they might not. In any case, realize that there's no family worship situation that is an exception for having family worship. Like there's no situation in your life where you should uh, have an exception for not having family worship. And here's the reality. You're not alone in the circumstances that make family worship difficult, nor are you alone in experiencing its, its delights as well. Like we can accept the fact that in this sinful world, Challenges to family worship arise regularly in every single home. Nevertheless, we must stand on this bedrock. Truth. God deserves to be worshipped daily in our homes and by our families. And for that reason, man, it's to start today. Start today. Besides, like, isn't this what you really want to do? Like, I really think you really want to do this. Like, I've never met a Christian who said, like, I don't, I don't want to pray with my family. I've never met a Christian who said, I don't want my kids to know Jesus. I've never met a Christian, a true Christian who has said that. So I don't believe it's too far-fetched to say that for those married, you desire not only intimacy, but you desire emotional and spiritual intimacy. We want to worship God together. 
So start, just start. And so what motivations do we need to start? First and foremost, just the word, like kind of goes back to that Deuteronomy passage. The worthiness of God to receive our worship each day is reason enough to start practicing family worship now. But in addition to that, consider these other good motivations. What better way to speak the gospel into your family's life every single day by having gospel conversations with them about their frustrations and also about their highs, about their joys in life? What better way to provide a regular time for your family to learn the things of God from you? What better way to provide your family with an ongoing opportunity to ask about the things of God in a comfortable context? No one knows you more than your family knows you. What better way for you to share with your family what God is teaching you about himself? What better way for you, your family, to see a reproducible example of a distinctive Christian home for when they start their own family one day? See, I think that's what I found most often when I was a youth pastor was having students who wanted family worship in their homes, but their parents never experienced it before. And so they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to start, what, what, what to do, where to read, what to read, when to read, how often to read. They were asking all these questions. Like, we just don't know what to do. And it's because they were not taught themselves what it looks like to do this. And so as you are leading in your home family worship, it's training your children when they fall in love with Jesus and then they get married and begin filling the earth and subduing it, they will then lead their children in worship. That's how you build a legacy. At the end of the day, this is a desire of yours if you are in Christ. If you're in Christ, this desire is in you. So act on it. Like be who you are. Be who you truly are. Now, there are a ton of reasons for why families are either inconsistent or don't worship together at all. But there's one reason that operates with um, with more force than all the others put together. And it's when a man or a woman says this, most likely the man himself. The truth is, I'm ashamed to begin. I'm ashamed to begin because I've not done it. I've never done it well. I don't do it consistently. I haven't put forth any effort to do this. Uh, like that's the, the shame and the guilt and the conviction oftentimes uh, keeps us from wanting to do family worship rather than just submitting that to the Lord and repenting of it and then allowing the Lord to encourage us and drive us to come back to him and then be filled up in him so that as we overflow out to our families, we're able to come to them and say, look, I'm sorry that I have not led you in this before. Like, I believe the Bible teaches that I should be leading us in family worship. I have a lot to learn about, but it's going to help us grow closer as a family uh, as we grow closer to God in worship of him. So will you join me in, in this family worship time? And let's, let's throw some songs on, up on TV, on YouTube. Let's open up a baby's first Bible. Let's read a couple of passages together. Let's ask a couple of questions. Let's pray together. Like it's as simple as that. Just will you join me? And the way that I want to close this out is I want to share an example um, of a man who took family worship very seriously. And honestly, like it, just straight out of the gate, like this guy put 
all of us to shame. All right, whether, whether you're husband, wife, like this guy puts us to shame uh, when it comes. So you're gonna feel some guilt. Like this guy nailed it in this regard when it comes to family worship. Um, his name is Rick Husband, and uh, his wife is Evelyn, and their children are Laura and Matthew. Rick's an astronaut and was going, uh, he was actually gonna be spending 18 days in orbit. And so before leaving, he actually told his wife, true story, uh, before leaving, he's to he told his wife, if I ended up at the end of my life, having been an astronaut, but having sacrificed my family along the way or living my life in a way that didn't glorify God, then I would look back on it with great regret. Having become an astronaut would not really have mattered all that much. And I finally came to realize that what really meant the most to me was to try and live my life the way God wanted me to and to try and be a good husband to you and to be a good father to our children. That was this letter that he wrote to his wife as he was talking to her before going on this 18-day orbit. And so one week prior to leaving for the flight crew's quarantine, uh, Commander Husband turned to his wife, Evelyn, and he said, here's what I want to do. I want to make a videotape for Laura and for, I want to make a videotape for Laura and one for Matthew that they can watch each day while I'm in orbit. He says, I, I want the children to know how much I love them and that I'll be thinking of them every single day. And so at the, at the beginning of each tape, he left for his seven-year-old son. Husband said, hi, Matthew. I want to tell you how much I love you. And I want to make this tape for you so that you and I could have a devotional time uh, for every day that I'm in space, that I'm in orbit. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm looking at your devotional book and I'm starting on the 16th of January, which is our launch day. And what I will do is read through this book and read the Bible verse also and go through the whole thing just like you and I are sitting here on the couch together. I just wanted to do this because I love you so much and I'm going to uh, do one for your sister as well for all 18 days that I'm in orbit. Now, that, I, that's amazing. Like That's a committed father to make sure that even when he's gone on a work trip uh, for two and a half weeks, that he is leading his family in worship. Now, how much do you think those 18 videos have shaped the lives of his two kids? Because Rick Husband was the commander of the space shuttle Columbia. Uh, <clears throat> and he was among the seven astronauts killed on February 1st, 2003, when the spacecraft broke apart over Texas just 16 minutes from landing in Florida. And so his kids are now at the age where they're starting their own families um, and they're having families of their own. And how much do you think they value that daily time invested in their family? Because you just don't know how much time you have. And so what type of legacy do we as men and women want to leave with our families and for their families? And so there's no greater spiritual warfare, no greater spiritual fight than the one going on for the spiritual identity of your family. This is why Paul at the end of Ephesians 6 goes to the armor of God. And so if you, if you feel guilt or you feel shame for not being consistent with reading scripture, praying together and singing with one another in your home, 
um, then bring that to the Lord today. Repent and rest in knowing that moving forward, God's already pleased with you because of what Jesus has done, not what you have done. You don't have to feel guilt and shame for, for your consistency or lack thereof. God's pleased with you because of Jesus Christ. So be who you are and just start worshiping together as a couple. Start worshiping together as a family with your children because Jesus is worth it. It's going to be messy, but nothing is more valuable than worshiping the Lord together as a household. I promise you, like as, as we look back on last week and we kind of talk about like the the rhythms of God's ideal design for humanity to flourish. And that for husband and wife to have distinct roles and that within those roles they are worshiping God and they are mutually submitting to one another as the husband is uh, living out his responsible as authority and as the woman is submitting in her role as a helpmate when it comes to uh, her role in cultivating family and cultivating society. And if you're, if you didn't listen to last week's sermon, I don't know if it was recorded or not, but I will give you my manuscript notes. Don't listen to those terms and tune me out. Um, they are beautiful, beautiful terms that God uses in his word to be able to lead us into greater life and deeper joy. And he's got the same thing planned out for us as a family now when it comes to our children. There is deeper life and greater joy to be had when it comes to us living out our day-to-day -day rhythms and routines as a family. And if reading scripture and praying together and singing songs to God are not included in those rhythms and routines, then just forget, like ask for forgiveness and jump in and start doing those things. Because I promise you, I promise you, you're going to have greater joy when you do that. And I'm right there with you. Like, I know we're not as consistent with it. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the pastors of this church with three kids, and, and we don't do it every single day, all right? I'm not reading these books every single day, all right? And so there's, there's moments where we have room to pick up, and there's moments where we have opportunities to press in to the lives of our children because it goes so quick. It goes so quick. And so raise them up. Don't provoke them to anger. Raise them up to know and love Jesus as their greatest treasure. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for this opportunity to hear this instruction from Colossians and Ephesians uh, and Genesis and Deuteronomy when it comes to leading our families in worship of you. And so Father, I ask that you would Give these parents the strength that they need. Um, give them the understanding and wisdom that they need, and the motivation that they need, in order to in order to bring Jesus to their children and to show Jesus in a way that is beautiful and good for them, so that when they are older, they will not depart from Him. They will cling to Him as their greatest greatest treasure. And so we thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And at this time, Josh is going to lead you in a time of communion. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at